Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. I'm grateful for the opportunity to share with you. Have you guys enjoyed Revival Sunday so far? Been wonderful. We love having Chris Durso here. Jonathan, Jonathan Brozozog last week was fantastic from Minneapolis. And next week, we've got an amazing, I think one of the most incredible young preachers around right now, uh, Keenan Clark, who'll be here from Texas. Uh, he's, he and his wife are about to uh, plant a church in uh, Franklin, Tennessee. And uh, this is, uh, it's going to be a real, real honor to have. I would encourage anybody that knows any, anyone that's like even remotely young, uh, youth, young adult, get them here. This is going to be a fire message. He's got a real heart for Gen Z, and I know that God is going to do some, some unbelievable things uh, here next, next Sunday. Great spirit here today, right? A wonderful, wonderful spirit here. So, um, yeah, in Revival Sundays, it's kind of like these are messages that this whole month of Revival Sundays has kind of turned into this thing where we have guests, and I don't really give them a topic, um, you know, sp- specifically. Sometimes, like, I've been asked to go to churches before, and I'll go, and, like, the night before I go there, the pastor's like, oh, by the way, you're preaching on communion. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I don't really tell these guys exactly what to preach. I just kind of let them uh, trust that the God, God is going to give them a, a word on what needs to be said to our church. But it's, it's awesome, the themes that, uh, you know, God brings into our church. But I just really feel like today... In this series, um, I'm going to kind of do some heavy lifting in in this today because I want to talk about something that I think precedes or comes before an extended period of revival. You know, revivals are are important. They're necessary. But I think if you're going to see, see the kind of revival that we're hungry for as a church, to see our communities transformed to see our jobs transformed, to see people coming back, as we just were singing about right there, to the heart of worship, to see people thinking differently about Jesus than they ever have before, to see things happening in our world that we have not seen. I think that we're gonna have to talk about uh, some of the themes that I'm gonna mention in my message today, and and it's gonna be called The Cure, and uh, I'm going to be talking uh, about sin, and I'm going to be talking about repentance, uh, and I think that the word sin in our world, it causes people to be offended uh, because their, their thought process is so steeped in uh, modern, the, the modern thought is like, you know, what's good for you is not necessarily good for me. But we forget that there's a pretty basic definition of sin in the Bible, and I'm going to get to that in a bit. Uh, and, and, and when I do, I, I think it's going to clear, hopefully it's going to clearly show us that it's easy for us. And that's why I think that that little song that we just sang right there, you know, coming back to the heart of worship. Look at someone next to you. Don't spell what the acronym is, but, but just say, keep it simple. Don't, don't put the last word on it. Say, say, keep it simple. Say, keep it simple. Uh, I think sometimes we need to keep it simple. Uh, and, and when it comes to the heart of worship, the heart of what this is all about, it's very easy for us to get misguided 
it's very easy for us to put blinders on to our own sinful nature. It's very easy, easy for us to, you know, after World War II, many Nazis who had committed heinous war crimes fled to different parts of the world. And there was a particular one who went to South America and just kind of lived a life of, it's actually, a, it's sort of one of these kind of stories that can be very confusing to somebody's faith because he lived for years and years like this very rich kind of life doing whatever he wanted. This guy had committed some of the worst crimes against humanity imaginable. I'm talking like decades he lives in opulence and all this stuff. But then somebody found him and one day they came and took him away and he was executed for his crime. So here, here's an idea based on that concept. Was he really free or was he living on borrowed time? See, no matter how much fun he had, no matter how much peace he thought he had every night when he went to bed, was he really free or was he living on borrowed time? And I think a lot of us convince ourselves through our rationale, through our intellect, uh, through just our refusal to listen to what God has to say, we go, I'm good, I'm fine. But we fail to confront grievous issues that we have in our own soul, in our own heart about God. And it's scary to think that we could be living an offensive life toward God. That's not, that should be, get a lot of amens. That's not a controversial statement. It's scary to think that we could be living in an offensive life toward God, but yet don't know it. And uh, we'll start off, let me just start off by praying. Father, bless the message today. I pray in Jesus' name that our hearts are turned toward heaven in a way uh, that they never have been before about this subject. Holy Spirit, we invite you to continue to move, make this word come alive, and touch every heart of this place in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. So justice is getting what you deserve. Amen? That's what justice is. When we crave justice, we crave to see a punishment that is equal for the crime. Or, or someone that you know, gets a due reward for something they've done. That's, that, that might be justice as well. But in the sense of uh, paying for something, justice is getting what you deserve. What is mercy? Think about the difference in justice and mercy. Mercy, mercy is when you don't get what you actually do deserve. Isn't that correct? So if someone gives you mercy, if, if, you know, dad told you to stay out till midnight and not one minute passed and you come home at 12.01, you've, you've done what? You've disobeyed dad. This, I'm not saying this has ever happened with my kids because, no, they have never, ever done this before. But you, you, you've, miso, you, you, you've disobeyed your, your parents. And, and if you stay out now, they have the right to give you justice, which is punishment for going against the rules that are in the house. But mercy is able to say, you know what? I, I do feel like that you didn't mean to do this and you're going to learn your lesson. So I'm going to refrain from the punishment. So that makes sense, right? Mercy is, is refraining from getting what you actually deserve. But grace is a completely different thing. Grace is getting, a, getting something, receiving something. Not just the pardon from something you deserve, but grace is receiving a blessing that you do not deserve. Grace is a completely different thing. 
Grace is when something is deposited to you, it's given to you. It's not just saying, okay, at this time, I'm going to let you off the hook. Grace is giving you something that you cannot earn, you did not earn, and you will never deserve. And that is what we get from God. We get grace with Jesus. Can somebody say amen here today? We get grace, something that we do not deserve. He deposits something into our life that we never had before, that we did not earn. Now, when you think about this word, that, is, that seems like a very old school word. But I'd like to ask here, has anyone ever done any hiking? Raise your hand if you've ever done any hiking. Okay. Did anybody ever maybe grow up uh, in a part of the country that had like a lot of mountains or hills or something, or, or in a part of the world that, had, you know, I think even Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico's got a lot of mountains, right? You know, got a lot of places where you go up the mountains and stuff like that. Uh, so I've been all over the world with mountains everywhere. When you're going up a mountain and you're climbing, if you're not careful and you don't get a right foothold, what can happen? You can slip. You don't ever slip upwards, do you? I wish you did. That'd be fun. But no, it just, it seems like when you slip, what do you do? You go, you go what, which way? Backwards. So you're sliding which way? You're sliding backwards. Oh, backslide. Oh, wow. There's an old school church word. You're backsliding. So what is the idea what was the original goal when you started out on the, in this analogy? What was our goal? To, to, to go up, right? To move closer to the goal and the purpose that God had for your life. What is that goal? Let's, let's, yes, yes, that's right. To be like him. And what is he? We were just singing about it. Okay. He is holy. Can I just really quickly define for you what sin is? Sin, according to the Bible, hamartia, that word sin, it means to miss the mark. Has anyone ever uh, shot a basket? Baloncesto. No me gusta jugar baloncesto. Me gusta jugar football. <laughs> Did I say it right? Me I don't know. Me gusto, something like that. I don't know. Me gusta Hugo. Hugo. Oh, is it Hugo? Juego. Jugar. Oh, I said it right. See. Sí. Um, <laughs> in, in basketball, I don't like playing basketball because I miss a lot. It, what do I do? Um, I, there's a mark, right? I see the mark. No, no one is in my way. I'm, I'm talking when I'm out there and there's no one there, I can't get it in there. It's like, you're, you're shooting for it. You're, you're trying to hit the mark and you miss the mark. In the case of our faith, what is the mark? The mark is holiness. And what is holiness? It is pure rightness. It is pure and complete goodness. We think we're good sometimes. And we say, well, I want to bless you in this way. I want to bless you in that way. But I mean, we got to really analyze our motives that unless that is a real God move, there's normally some kind of personal motivation in things that we do. That's why we're constantly have to, having to check our heart. We say, well, I, did, I didn't do it for any reason. Well, I mean, did anyone see you? Did, you know, is it maybe that you did it towards someone that's going to tell somebody it'll come back to you? You've got to be really careful that we're living out of pure motives because sin 
is anything that misses the mark. It means, it means that even an almost is completely missing the mark. Even something that looks like it's close to being holy is completely unholy because it's totally and completely binary. So to backslide in any way means to miss the mark of perfection. So I would say that many times in our faith, we have to be careful that we're not backsliding. That we are not going backwards in our faith. That we are not integrating sin into our life and allowing sin to be present around us without confronting it, without acknowledging it, without recognizing it, rejecting it and refuting it by the word of God and in the name of Jesus. It is very important that we learn to recognize and we are given an encouragement from the Lord multiple times to return. He asks us to come back. And what is he saying? He's saying at one time you were with me. At one time you were advancing. And something in your faith, I'm not sure if it was a TV show or a podcast or a certain Instagram account that you follow. I don't know what it is, but at some point in your life, you changed your mind about what sin actually is. At some point, a relative of yours did something and you said, well, I can't go against them because I love them. So you changed your mind on the subject rather than continuing to love the person, but saying, I know what God has spoken to me about that and it's not right. I'm not going to endorse something that God doesn't endorse. I'm going to love somebody, but I'm never going to endorse something that God doesn't endorse. So what happens is we begin to backslide. By refusing to confront sin in our own life. That's where it starts. Judgment begins at the house of God. And, and we are the house of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when judgment begins at the house of God, doesn't mean that we stand up here and the preacher preaches everything everyone's doing is wrong. It means that it starts with me. It starts with me. What's going on in my life and in my own heart. Look at someone next to you. Say, I think he's talking about me. Yeah, I'm talking about this me, but you're your own me. <laughs> you better be your own me. So in Jeremiah in the Old Testament, God says, return faithless people. Isn't it crazy how God can insult you and encourage you in the same scripture? Return. That's encouraging. Faithless. That's discouraging. He's calling. He's saying, what's wrong with you? You have no faith. He says, return for I am your husband. I am your husband. The analogy that God is using here, no matter who you are, this is regardless of your man, woman, whatever. He's referring to us as the people of God. He's using the analogy of a faithful husband and a wife who has left her husband, who is patiently and lovingly waiting for her to return. And he says, return for I'm your husband and I will choose you one from a town, two from a clan and bring you to Zion. Return faithless Israel, which represents you say, well, I'm, I'm from you know, St. Cloud. I'm not an Israel. No, what he's saying is that believers return. I will frown on you no longer. 
He's saying, don't, don't use the excuses of, of I'm afraid to go to God because of what, I'm done, what I've done. He's saying, come back to me and admit what you've done. Come to me and level with me and I will love you. Come to me and recognize the problems that you have in your soul. And he says, I will not be angry forever. What does it mean? It means he's angry right now. Who wants God angry at them? Please don't raise your hand. We do not want the creator of heaven and earth angry at us. Now, this one, this next one, it stings a little bit. It says, if a man divorces his wife and she leaves him and marries another man, should he return to her again? Would not the land be completely defiled? But he's talking about me and you. He says, but you have lived as a prostitute with many lovers. It just seems like that the, the, the scripture should be over right there. He says, you, he's saying, I'm your husband. You as my wife have divorced me and gone out and lived like a prostitute. And what does that mean? That the most sacred thing that a husband and a wife can do, the, the, the sexual intimacy between a husband and a wife is the most sacred thing. So the worship, the most sacred thing that we have with God, you have gone out and not only divorced me, but you have gone and taken the most sacred side of your belief system of everything in your heart. You've just given it to everybody. You've given the most sacred thing that belongs to me, the worship, the connection, the intimacy, the devotion, and you have prostituted yourself. You say, that's strong language. Talk to God about it. <laughs> Just reading here. You've prostituted yourself with many different lovers, which you know what it is? It's other gods. He's referring to idolatry. If you wake up every day and you reach for your phone and you tap an app before you pray to your God, you better be careful. Anyone alive today? It's like four people came to church today. I'm preaching some truth up here. You tap an app before you begin to honor the God that gave you breath and gave you life. You might have a little idol situation going on. If that's where your heart goes first, where does your heart go first? But he says, you have, you have been prostituting yourself. But here's what he says. He said, but would you just return? What he's saying is, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to end you. I'm not trying to make an example of you. I'm not trying to cut you off and give you the justice that you deserve. I'm trying to give you mercy, which is refraining from giving you the justice you deserve. But I'm also trying to give you what? The grace that you don't deserve. But I can't give it to you if you don't come back to me. You've cut yourself off from mercy. You've cut yourself off from grace. If you continue to embrace and live a life that's rejecting the precepts and the principles of God. He says, Jeremiah 3, 3, therefore, the showers have been withheld. <laughs> There's some people that need a refreshing. They're like, where's my refreshing? You ain't going to get it. No spring rains have fallen. 
Yet you have the brazen look of a prostitute. You refuse to blush with shame. What it basically means is that there are Christians who have embraced a life that is so blatantly against, I'll say this, they call themselves Christians, who have so blatantly embraced a life that is in opposition to what God teaches that they're no longer even sad or repentant for their own sins. They can't blush anymore. That is really scary. If you don't think it's scary, read in Hebrews where the Bible talks about Esau who could not repent anymore for what he had done wrong. He lost the ability to effectively repent. Why? He, he'd spent it just on, on fakeness and eventually ran out of the ability to repent. That's what happens when you embrace that open lifestyle of just rejecting what God. We have to learn how to fear in a healthy way and, uh, and have respect and reverence for what God says. Look, I don't want us to, I grew up in a, such a stiff, legalistic, religious church background in the denomination that my parents were in, where everything was about what you can't do, what you can't do. But isn't it true that if you don't honor and respect the precepts of God, what you find you're doing is yourself doing is swinging in the opposite direction where anything and everything goes. And no one ever challenges you or calls you out on what you're doing. And it's really scary. He says in 322, return faithless people. I will cure you of backsliding. Look at someone else. You say backsliding is a sickness. It's a sickness. You say, where do you get that? Right there. It says cure you. You get cured from sickness. What is the cure? Repentance and Jesus and returning and confronting yourself with your own sin. Stop renaming it something else. Stop coming up with excuses for what it is. I only hate them because they treated me wrong. No, you hate them because you don't believe that the Bible says you're supposed to love. You've come up with a reason to have resentment toward people. To have unforgiveness toward people, to embrace lifestyles and, and behaviors and attitudes and things that do not coincide with what the Bible teaches. But you need to be healed. First Peter 1 15 and 16 says, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. Somebody say in all I do. If Jesus was physically standing over your shoulder while you were browsing the Internet, would you be happy with what he sees? You say, but he isn't. No, he is. The Bible says greater is he who lives in me than he that is in the world. It means he ain't staring over your shoulder. He's living in you. So what you see, he sees. What you touch, he touches. So listen, you say, well, why does he have such a problem with sin if he's holy? Because he lives in you. And you are his representative to the world. He created you in his image. So when you sin, it is an indictment against his character. I don't know how many parents we have here. But if you're a parent that has values, 
At some point, you're going to talk to your kids and you're going to say, that's not what Smiths do. Smiths do not speak like that. Smiths do not behave like that. How do you know? Because this is my family. That's my last name. I'm protecting this family. Okay, and, and this is the way Smiths behave. Because when you go out and you behave a certain way, it reflects on me. And in the same way that I won't put up with having my name and what I stand for compromised, imagine the God of the universe who has redeemed you by the blood of his own son. He won't stand for having his name compromised. That's why his glory is at stake. That's why Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of what? The glory of God. When we sin, we fall short of the glory of God. That means he's not receiving the glory he deserves when we sin. That's why this is such a big deal. You know, you got the, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I cuss a little shirts. I mean, all this kind of stuff is like, whatever. If you want to sit there and talk about what you can get away with and still be saved, that's fine. But be very careful that we don't begin to adapt an irreverent view of what God considers to be very serious. I want to have freedom in my life. I want to have grace in my life. I, want, I don't want to spend my life worrying about, oh, can I do this? Can I? No, I do want to be led by the Holy Spirit in freedom and not legalism and bondage, but not at the expense of turning grace into a joke because God's glory is at stake. Anybody here ever had your name put in question when you did nothing wrong? Raise your hand if you've ever had your name put in question when you did nothing wrong. Terrible, terrible feeling. Terrible feeling when somebody brings up something that you, they say you did, and you had absolutely nothing to do with it. That's what sin does to God. We're putting God's character in question when he has done absolutely nothing, and it's missing the mark. So when you read in the book of Matthew and Jesus go, he, 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 the spirit descends on him in the form of a dove as he's being baptized. The first thing he does is he goes out into the wilderness, 40 days, 40 nights, doing battle with Satan, like spiritual warfare, literally with Satan. He comes out of the wilderness and check in Matthew yourself. The first word of the first sermon that he preaches. Read it. The first book of the New Testament, read it for yourself. Matthew 4, 17, the first word that he says after the spirit has empowered him, the first of the first message that he ever preaches is the word repent. He says, repent. And what is repent? Well, it's metanoia. That's the Greek word. And it means to change one's mind for the better, to heartily amend with hatred of one's past sins to reconsider. It means not only to look at what you've done and gone, sorry. That's the worst. Sorry. We do that to God all the time. God, sorry for what I did. It's like we, we fail to take the time to say, God, what I did was an indictment against your character, your glory, I'm sorry, I never want to do that again. I want to change my heart, 
change my attitude and I want to show a different behavior. Let's go back to the analogy of coming home at 12.01 or 12.10 or 12.30. I told you it was 12. I'm going to give you a grace. The next time they come home at 11.50. What do you call that? I call that repentance. It's not, it's not 12.01. 11.50 means that I was out there and I remembered. Wait a second. Somebody had some mercy on me. Somebody had some grace on me. I ain't going to deal with no, you know, getting stuck at a bunch of red lights and having all these excuses when I walk in. I'm going to take the mercy and I'm going to take it to heart and I'm going to show my repentance through the demonstration of a different set of behaviors. That's what happens when we repent is we allow our behaviors and our attitudes to change. Why does Why does God continually call us to return and to repent? Because he cares too much for us. Now, this next part, you know, if you're like, man, this has been heavy so far. This next part is even heavier. Okay, so just just I don't know. Look at someone next to you. Say, get ready or, you know, eat some, you know, have a piece of like really strong gum or something. Just wake yourself up. I'm not sure what's going on, but it's going to be big here. God knows that there is a pattern of sin. And he loves us too much to let us get sucked underneath the undertow of sin. First John, and you said, well, are, are all sins the same? All sin is, is, is what is sin? I, I told you a minute ago, it's, it's missing what? It's missing the mark. What is the mark? Holiness. What is the mark? Let's all say it together. What is the mark? It's holiness. So sin is missing the mark. It's transgressing. It's it's less than perfection. So all sins are the same in that they all miss the mark. Not all sins are the same in that there's different natural consequences for certain sins. There's different spiritual consequences for some sins, sins that lead many astray, as opposed to, you know, maybe you know, giving someone the wrong amount of change or, or, you know, getting tempted to you know, you steal a cookie or something that belongs to somebody, you know, it was meant for your daughter like I did yesterday and you take it and you eat it. Uh, you know, th- those kinds of sins are, are a little bit different. All of them have different consequences. But first, John 5, 16 and 17 gets into some heavier, much heavier stuff. It says, if anyone sees his brother in a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. Now, I am reading the King James Version, but you say, well, what is a sin that is not unto death? He is referring to, he's pointing out a theological idea that there is, there are scriptures that refer to people who have either committed a blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is to openly disregard the power of the Holy Spirit and the true authenticity of who God is, that their heart is so hardened to God that they never could be saved and they've openly blasphemed that and cannot be saved. And someone like Esau, who lost the ability to repent, what he's saying is that even though theologically there is a type of sin that cannot be overcome, that you cannot get to heaven, He's saying, I'm not talking about this. So what, when he, what, I'm, and it's important when you're reading this particular verse to say, to know that he's saying, I'm not talking about that right now. I'm talking about something else. I'm talking about all other sins. Any other sin than this kind of theological idea that's, that's even bigger than the conversation we're having right now. And we can get into this conversation at some other point. 
I think mostly this involves people that never were saved, never were going to be saved, never actually committed their hearts to the Lord. So I don't think it's, as a matter of fact, when it comes to the subject of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, you say, well, what is that particular sin? If someone ever says to me, do you think I've committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? My first answer would be no, because you're asking that question. I don't, I don't think anyone who ever committed blasphemy would care. I don't even think they would believe in the question. So let's just put that aside for a second to say that there is a, what he's saying is there's a sin that leads unto death. I'm not talking about that. He said, I'm talking about all other kinds of sin. So he's saying in these kinds of sins, which is anything else you can imagine as bad as it is, he says, pray for those sins. He says, all unrighteousness is sin and there is a sin not unto death. Okay, now there's one kind of that's in between kind of sin that we'll get into here just in a second in, in 1 Corinthians. Actually, let me get into it right now since I'm on the subject. 1 Corinthians 5, Paul is talking to the church about a man who is sleeping with his father's wife who is still coming to church. Okay, this is gross in any culture. Uh, but he, the guy's sleeping with his dad's wife and, and being allowed to come to church. It says it right here. It says, reported there's sexual immorality among you, a kind of that even pagans don't tolerate, a man sleeping with his father's wife. He says, and you're proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and put this person out of your fellowship? That's really important to know, too, in the church, that the church doesn't, should never think that anybody that comes should come and be a part of everything they're doing. I think anybody should be allowed to come. But I think that if you're just openly displaying something, as Paul is referring to here, if you're openly displaying something that's contradictory to the scriptures, it's not what God intends for his people. And he says, instead of, you should have put this person out of your fellowship. He says, as for my part, even though I'm not physically present, I'm with you in spirit as one who is present with you in this way. I have already passed judgment in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ on the one that has been doing this. Who? The dude that's sleeping with his father's wife. What is the judgment? So when you are assembled... And I am with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus present. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. So what is that referring to? That's telling us that there are certain types of sins that it is better to be cut off from the church and be out there in the world as a Christian without fellowship. If you refuse to admit that that's sin, it's better to be cut off and to physically die at some point or to lose eternal, than to continue stockpiling, losing your eternal rewards and wasting away to the point where you no longer care and you're no longer able to repent. That tells me that sin has a progression. That unless you confront it, you can get to the point where you can lose fellowship with your church. You can get to the point where you're losing eternal rewards and your soul is being messed up in the day of judgment. By I mean, we have no idea if I could get into 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, where it talks about the Bema judgment seat of Christ, where someday all Christians, every Christian that is saved, will stand before Jesus, and Jesus will look at every single one of our actions, and he will judge each and every one. The ones that do not honor and glorify him that miss the mark, the Bible says that they will be burnt up. Anyone that give, that means any action that we did that did not have godly motives, it's gone. Losing eternal reward. It doesn't mean we're going to hell. That's a different judgment. It means that we are accountable. There's no way around this. 
So what I'm saying is knowing that the Bible is so full of doctrine that makes it very clear the severity and importance of recognizing and confronting sinful behavior in our life. You say, I thought this was Revival Sunday. I want to have revival. That's the point of this. I want us to be a church. And what, what happens is I think when we begin to confront sin, what happens? We see revival. We see revival in our soul. We see revival in our church, revival in our community. Okay, let me give you another type. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You say, well, that's about communion. Yes, it is. And it says, so then whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. This next scripture is huge. It says, that is why many of you, he's talking to Christians, are weak and sick. And many of you have died early. What about grace? You're blocking it from your own life. You have chosen to step outside of mercy and grace by embracing something. What, and what does it mean? For in communion, what it means is failing to discern the body and the blood of Jesus when you've lost the ability to recognize that it is with his stripes that we are healed. Physically. And that it is by his blood that I am saved. And when you lose that revelation for failing to discern that and living a sinful life where you have made yourself unaware of the core values and principles that make you a Christian, you can die early. You can bring stuff on your own life through a sinful kind of life that you do not need. <laughs> he says, but if we were more discerning with regard to this is verse 31, 1 Corinthians eleven thirty-one. 31. Listen how clear this is. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Is that scripture? I mean, look how clear it. But if we were more, read that out loud with me. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. What's the answer? Be more discerning about your own sin. Be more confrontational about your own sin. You say, but well, that sounds judgmental. Be judgmental to yourself. Judge your own sin. Judge it effectively. Or what? Or you will be judged. Judge yourself or you will be judged. So, heavy stuff, right? I told you. I mean, let me give you two more real heavy ones in case you, you, you still can walk. I want to burden you completely all the way down to the floor. <laughs> Exodus 23, 25 and 26 says, you shall serve the Lord, your God only. Then I will bless you with food and with water, and I will take sickness away from among you. There will be no miscarriages or barrenness throughout your land, and you will live out. I'll read this version. I will give you a what's that next word? What, what is what is. What's the difference? What's the other word that's not full? Partial. Who wants a partial lifespan here today? Is anyone excited about that? 
Lord, give me, a, you know, not the full measure of my life, but the partial measure of my life. So what is that telling us? It's saying, you shall serve the Lord your God only. How do you serve him? By obeying his commands, by reflecting his goodness and glory in your life, by refusing to embrace a lifestyle that's contrary to what he has called us to. Stop living in a way that does not honor God. Look, I get this. There's a kind of message that we could preach if we were trying to fill every single seat, every single service and build. But what I'm, I'm, that's not the goal. The goal is not just to do that. The goal is that if God, unless God builds the church, they who build it labor in vain. That's what the Bible says. So if we're going to be the kind of church that God has called us to, we're going to have to embrace the truth of who he says he is and believe that when we begin to look at our lives and judge ourselves, God begins to bless us and favor us in a way that we can't imagine. Psalm 55, 23 says, but you, oh God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of corruption. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men will not live out half their days. Another reference to us sinning ourselves to death. I just presented you two different biblical passages that show us that we have the ability by refusing to confront our sin to shorten our lives. But that doesn't mean every person that dies is dying as a result of sin. We live in a world of sin. That doesn't mean babies that are sick, that their parents did something wrong. As a matter of fact, even when the man that was born blind from his mother's birth, he says, who, someone asked a stupid question, said, whose fault is this, the kids or his parents? And, and Jesus said, neither, neither. It wasn't either one of them. God wanted to do a miracle through him so everybody could rejoice. So let's put that false theology to rest. That's not what I'm teaching right now. I'm not teaching that when you do something wrong, you're going to get sick or when you do something wrong, you're going to die. What I'm talking about is a refusal to confront sinful behavior. I'm not talking about mistakes. We make mistakes and, and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's, it's important to know that as Christians, no matter what kind of Christian you are, no matter how devoted you are, no matter how far you climb up that mountain, you might slide back a little bit one day. But what do you do? You repent for it and you keep moving forward. You don't allow yourself in a downward spiral to go back to where you started again. That's not a life that's honoring to God. So I just want to ask you real quick, and, and the team can come up, but how did you behave when you first got saved? How did you feel when you first got saved? Andy, how did you feel when you first got saved? What were you, what were you like? Where did you get saved? Where, where did you first get saved? Okay. And, and, when you, and when you first got that revelation of who Jesus is in your life, what, what, how, what's, what's something that you remember about that? Yeah. Just freedom. Okay. It's very easy for us to get away from that very basic word right there, freedom. Chad, how about you? What, what, what do you remember about being first saved? What's one of the things that pops in your head about being first saved? Passion. Okay. I, I, I relate to that. Any, can anyone else relate to passion when you first come to God? Think of those two words just randomly asking people. Freedom. Passion. When you're, I mean, those sound like, that sounds like being in love. <laughs> you think maybe that's why Jesus, in Revelation, 
He says, you've got away from your first love. Start doing all the things that you did when you first fell in love. Think about when you first fall in love. Man, when you show up on that date, you clean all the french fries out from in between the seats. You take the car down to the local car wash. They say, you want that air freshener? You go, yeah, give me the new car. You got the cologne all over the place. You walk over, you, you walk her out. When you pick her up, you open up the door. There's a rose laying there on the seat. She goes, oh, what's that? You go, oh, shoot, how'd I get there? Oh, that's right, I bought it for you, baby. How quickly, when you get somebody on lockdown, do you stop doing all the things that you did to get them in the first place? If you're not careful, you think it's any different with God? What the Bible is telling us is there is an honor and a devotion and a love and a freedom and a passion that we have so naturally for God when we start knowing him. And when we lose those things and we forget to remember, we get into this whole life where we start embracing false doctrines, fake ideologies that don't work. And he says, only acknowledge in Jeremiah 3.13. He said, just acknowledge what you've done, that you've transgressed against me and you haven't obeyed my voice. What is he asking you today, to do today? To acknowledge. Acknowledge that you have failed. That is it. We can, and, and, and we're not talking about, sorry. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about spending a moment with God and just saying, God, please forgive me. And every person in this room knows what it is that I'm talking about. You know, for some people, it's turning politics into God. For some people, it's turning money into God. For some people, it's turning denominationalism into God or relationships into God. Whatever it is in your life that is so holy to you, that has elevated itself to saying this is what it means to be godly. If it's something other than the spirit of Christ himself, You've allowed something to take the place that was reserved for Jesus. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we what? If we what? If we confess. Jesus said this. I just referred to it. Revelation 2, he said, I hold this against you. That, that, by the way, Jesus is very forgiving, right? Don't we know him as the one that's so forgiving? But he holds this against you. What? What have you done? You've forsaken the love you had at first. So it is sinful to forget how beautiful Jesus is. It's sinful to allow all these things to be attached to our lives, these lifestyles, these things. What I'm saying is check yourself. In relationships with people, if, you, if you're married, talk about things. Should we really do this? Should we really have these relationships? Should we really go here? 
Should we participate in this kind of behavior? Is this something that's edifying for us? And you don't have to turn into a judgmental person and say, well, we don't do that. You can just say, well, no, we're, we're busy. You, you can begin to have a lifestyle that reflects the convictions that God has put on your heart. That's honoring God. You don't have to dishonor everyone else to honor God in yourself. God will elevate you and he'll figure out a way to, to, to you come out clean on the other side if, if you do it with the right spirit. Repentance, Acts eleven eighteen. I love when uh, Peter is sent from Joppa to Caesarea to convert the Gentiles there and everyone is blown away that God is like allowing the Holy Spirit to, to revolutionize the lives of non-Jews. And I, I think this is almost kind of cute the way this is worded here. It says, they're blown away. They say, so then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. It's like they're, they're surprised and amazed that even non-Jews can repent. And it's the kind of repentance that leads to life. So what, what, what does that mean that non-repentance leads to? Not life. So if you're, in a, if you're in a place in your life where you have trouble being convicted any longer, would, would everyone just stand up for a second? Let's put the lights down just a little bit like we do in worship sometimes. Let's just, for just a moment, could we lift our hands to the Lord in church on a Sunday morning and could we be reminded for just a moment of what God has forgiven us from, of what he has brought us through, of how much mercy he has shown us, how much grace he has lavished on us. And just be honest with your soul. Be honest with your own heart here today of the things that you've adapted and embraced in your own life that you have failed to confront. And thank God that he doesn't give you justice today. Thank God that he is, for everyone that is repenting in this room right now and watching online with your hands up, for everyone that is repenting, saying, God, I'm sorry. I just, in my spirit, I see mercy falling like rain. And you know what? I see grace falling like a waterfall. Receive the mercy of the Lord today as you repent and you acknowledge what has distanced you from your God today. He's invited you back to return. If that's you today, every person in the room that needs to repent, say, I ask you, Lord Jesus, to forgive me of my sins. I'm confronting my sins. I'm confronting my failure. I'm confronting the fact that I have missed the mark. I don't want to live that way any longer. I want to honor you with every decision of my life. Please give me your mercy. Please give me your grace. Let me demonstrate that grace in the way that I live my life from this day forward. Empower me with your Holy Spirit to live the life that you've called me to live. And I'm gonna trust you to take care of the rest. I'm forgiven, I'm transformed, I'm set free, and I'm gonna remember my first love. Starting today, in Jesus' name, amen. Could we give God a great praise today? Amen, he's worthy. This concludes the teaching. 
If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.